Stay tuned to the end of the episode for a special listen to Giant Conspiracy, the first single from Plane to Vapor's upcoming EP titled A Glitch in a Void, available April 10th. episode of All of the Above, a weekly podcast about design, code, and learning. We're an instructional designer, a user experience designer, and a software engineer. Take apart the world one topic at a time. My name is Sean Duran, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, Sam Bantner. Hi. And uh, Mr. Brian M. Brush. Hello, everyone. Hi. So, uh, guys, what's uh, what's new from last time we recorded? I started downloading more apps and testing them at work because it's now part of my job. So I've just been playing games all day. You've been playing Alto's Adventure all day, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I played Alto's Adventure all day. It was great. I just walked around and showed it to people and told them, hey, look at this. This app's pretty awesome. Then I walked away still playing, and they were working. Very nice. I've actually, I've never seen Alto's Adventure. I've only seen, like, the end uh, credits. Well, not even credits, like, the end of a level. So I don't even know what it's about or anything. Well, you should probably download it. I think I sent you it as a gift today. I know, but I was at work, and I don't get paid to play games like you do. (laughs) What about you, Brian? I've been uh, pretty good. I'm just prepping to do some training events that are coming up here at the end of the month and beginning of April. So we'll get to spend some time in a nice warm Savannah, Georgia, but it's finally getting warm here. So oh. kind of easily transitioning into humidity, which I don't normally handle very well. Yeah, it's the benefit of being subscribed to your calendar. I always see where you're at. Just <laughs> also <laughs> creepy. <laughs> That is very creepy. <laughs> but Sean, how has your week been? Um, it's been pretty fine. I actually uh this today, <laughs> this Monday today, I was it might be in a Nestle commercial. I was just outside work during lunch and this woman had a tray full of chocolate chip cookies. And I was like, Oh <laughs> damn, that's cool. And then my coworkers I they found this person before I did and they were like, Yeah, hey, you should go and do that. So I went over there and then I just I got a chocolate chip cookie, put it in my mouth, ate it, talked to them a little bit. They filmed me. There was two people filming me from like two different angles. I was tempted to, instead of like biting it like a normal person, I was just going to lick it and look (laughs) straight into the camera. (laughs) Um, But I I refrained. I did not do that. So they'll have something usable. That's my day. Uh, We actually, if you heard some laughing in the background, that wasn't us. Uh, We actually have the honor of having an awesome dude uh, for the show about concerts. It's the one and only Zach Cramp from uh, Playing to Vapors from Columbus, Ohio. He's the bassist. So, uh, hello, Zach. Hi. Hi, everyone. How are you guys doing? Hello. We're all good. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, Zach, Playing to Vapors is playing, that's, I guess that's a tough, it's a tongue twister, but they're performing at Bunbury soon. Is that right? That's right. That's right. It's just announced that we're playing the Bunbury Music Festival down in Cincinnati. We are so, so excited for that. The lineup is really great. I'm not just saying it because we're on the lineup. No, it's ridiculous. It's insanely good. Yeah. Yeah. Sam and I will actually be there. So yep, we'll be there. We'll have to make sure we catch your guys at set. Oh, great. Yeah. I'd love to see you guys there. It's, it's going to be a blast. I've been to this festival twice before. It is always so much fun. Beautiful, like, setup. It's not too massive, but the talent's always really good. So it's a good time, and I'm pretty stoked to be playing. It's cool to see your name on a poster, like, that's all over town. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And what dates are those? It is first weekend in June, June 5th through the 7th. Okay, cool. And then what days will you be playing? We are actually not sure yet. Oh, okay. So you'll be one of those. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Once we know, it'll be up on all of our 
social media and, and our website and everything like that, playingtovapors.com. I would definitely encourage people to go and check out the whole weekend because there's going to be a lot of great talent spread across those three days. There's a couple of Columbus bands on the bill. So we were really, really excited to see all those people there. You check out their website or Bandcamp or iTunes, what have you, Playing to Vapors. They have like a whole, I think, album or EP already out from a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah. The band released uh, an EP in 2012 called Identities, and we're getting ready to release uh, another one this April, April 10th, actually. We just announced the release date. It's going to be called A Glitch in a Void, and oh, cool. uh, we're really excited about that. We're doing a release show here in Columbus at Brothers Drake Meadery, where we're going to be making it available for the first time, and it's going to be up on iTunes and Spotify, Bandcamp, shortly after that for digital distribution, but we're going to have CDs and stuff too, so um, if you're in Columbus, I would definitely encourage people to come check out the show. It's actually a dual EP release. It sounds like a like a fight or something, but it's not. It's... Uh, <laughs> We're, we're releasing an EP, the same show as a band called The Aviary, um, who is releasing their EP. Well, actually, I believe it's a full album. Uh, a really great band from Brooklyn, New York. And the singer is our drummer's brother. So oh. it worked out really nicely that they were available. And so they're going to be kind of in their second like hometown playing their release show. So it should be nice and nutty. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, since you've got quite a few things lined up for upcoming shows and everything, Zach, we'll make sure that we include all of that information in the show notes. Yes. Which, Sean, where would we find those? That would be, I know this one, alloftheabove.audio slash episodes slash zero one eight. And if you live in Columbus, check out Brothers Drake Meadery is also a pretty cool place. So highly rated. Um, and that actually is a, a thing I want to get into. Uh, like my topic for today, uh, I was just about that whole idea of going from recording the music and stuff like that, and then just going and translating that into a live performance. And sometimes that whole thing is sort of hard if you've done things in the studio that you can't physically do if there's lots of guitars and there's only like two guitarists and you've had like five guitar tracks. So I was just going to ask you, Mr. Zach, how have you guys done that? Plane to Vapors is your now like current band, but you've been in many, many bands since like probably high school, middle school. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how, how you've gone about doing the whole like recording stuff and transferring that right that's something that every band has to consider when they are in the studio is how they're going to replicate everything that they do in the studio live some bands like to go above and beyond in the studio and really experiment with instruments that they might not even bring on the road or record in environments that are almost impossible to replicate live and i think that that is an awesome way to approach recording because when it comes down to it like you you should make a recording that is going to sound entirely unique and i guess you could say the the best possible version and rendition of that song mm-hmm. that's going to last for forever and yeah, you don't want to record something that sort of sucks and then just release it out to the world. You're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of mistakes, but that's character. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> yeah, it should be the very best version of that song, in my opinion. Not to say that um, the live show should be anything worse. Uh, I think that you hear about a lot of people saying like, oh, it's- Band's recordings are so great, but you got to see them live. And mm-hmm. I don't think one should necessarily be better than the other, but you can bring so many things to a live performance that you can't bring to a recording and, and vice versa. So what I've always done, I've been playing in bands since I was 13. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever been a part of a recording process that got so experimental that it wasn't something that we could replicate live uh, fairly easily. I know that in the recording of this EP, A Glitch in a Void, 
we have kind of been focusing on making sure that the recordings, while they are unique and sort of their own special rendition of these songs, that they are close to the way we play them live. And they are going to come across live similar to the way they do in the studio. I'm actually relatively new to the band. I've been in the band for a little over two years now. Uh, the rest of the band's been playing together uh, since high school. The EP that they released before I joined, Identities, has a lot of layering to it, and it's 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 really a fantastic piece of music in its creativity and how they use the studio to really flush out these songs to be like full and much many more tracks than they actually perform with live. But it has been, you know, I know a struggle to replicate some of those studio sounds, mm-hmm. but that that EP came out the way that they you know, really wanted it to. So with this EP, it's kind of a slightly different approach in that we're treating everything a lot like the way we treat it live. So, But that's not to say that uh, there aren't going to be a couple of cool tricks up our sleeve in the production of the record. So I'm really excited to share these songs. Cool. Yeah, because I, I think that you played a couple on like the last show I was at at the, the Space Bar. Yeah, We've been playing these some of these songs live for a while, and uh, others are relatively new. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, uh, I think, why we decided to approach them similarly. Like we, we really liked how they were going over live, and we've been playing them for a while. We've really had a long time to kind of experiment with them. Um, in a live setting. Yeah, yeah, because I know a lot of, I guess, bigger bands, they don't have, like, the luxury of, like, trying out lots of songs live. They have to pent up things and then just put them all out there, and they don't have enough time to, like, play with each other in a live setting. It's more of, like, oh, we made this in the studio, we recorded in the studio, we played it a couple times together, but we now have to record each of the tracks separately, and lots, like, not a lot of people record all the instruments at the same time, which uh, sort of loses that cohesiveness and building up of a song just having everything tight because i know like back in the old days like where the bands hopped in a van and they played every single night and that's what that's what they did like every that, mm-hmm. that was it it was just a grind and they just got tighter and tighter especially like uh horn sections and then so it's it's a it's sort of a nice that like, luxury be able to experiment live instead of having to just commit something to tape and be like all right i guess this is it we can throw it out into the world let's see how people like it right yeah <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, Sean, to that, I was going to say, I've actually heard some bands that are a little more like well-known, so they can't test out those new songs that often. And slowly over the years, you realize that they've started playing it completely different than they did oh, when yeah. they first started. And that's because over time, they realize like, oh, we really should have made this adjustment when we're performing, or we should have gone this different way with our recording. And that is, it's an interesting dilemma and why I think like a lot of people fall into that ridiculous trap of getting frustrated with bands bands that they've been following for years because the music doesn't sound the same anymore as they always claim but it's like well they haven't had the chance to sort of perform it in front of people make adjustments figure out what works and what doesn't um, and see what plays well for a live audience like they did when they first started so now they're just kind of going off of the whim of what they hear in the studio and what if they've got a uh, audio engineer what they're offering in the way of advice and that's very limiting compared to that live audience test yeah it's it's kind of our advantage that we are still relatively small in our fan base and that, you know, we can play our songs for an audience that is much smaller than we hope it to become once the song has 
been recorded and distributed. You know, the songs that some of the songs that are going to end up on this EP are ones that we've played live before. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a relatively small audience compared to what we hope it reaches with the recordings. And of course, now it's, you know, it's even easier to distribute your music online and get it out to so many new ears. It's going to be totally new to someone, you know, on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world. Hopefully, if it makes it that far. Um, I trust the internet to get it from here to there. Exactly. I, <laughs> we're counting on you, internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, it can, you know, it can be a little bit uh, nerve-wracking to, to play something new because you, you want to save it until someone gets to hear the recorded version yet so that they get, they get excited when they hear it live because it's, it's familiar to them. But at the same time, we think that it's important to try some things out live to a smaller audience before maybe you take it in the studio or at least to get some feedback from some some people that you trust and some people that that know your music trying to minimize that time between playing it live and then taking it into the studio is is the tricky thing yeah that's a for the whole uh like recording of the thing uh the music and once it's done it's done it's you can release like a different version later on it's not like software or website it's like oh i guess my bank's website changed no it's like you're gonna listen to that song and it'll be ingrained in your memory and you can have like like experiences with that like oh that's i listened to that song the first time i kissed so it's it's now like a part of my life and right you definitely you wouldn't want to change that for someone yeah and it's like oh we went to his concert but now it's like it's a different thing which is fine it's just it's a it's a different medium Mm -hmm. because with like art or something like that a painting that painting will be forever that painting and the painter can paint different paintings uh and websites and books but music is a it's more free form like jam bands for example uh you don't go to a fish concert and expect like oh they're just gonna play this one album and uh and play this other one and that that's it no they're gonna play forever and they're just gonna (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think, you know, you should want your music to sound as best as it can when you do that initial recording because, yeah, exactly like you were saying, it's kind of hard to pull it back in and then re-release it as maybe it's a... Version 2. Right, exactly. <laughs> the remix. Like it just... Uh, it, <laughs> a lot of people, you know... Um, might not like those changes and they might have ties to like emotional ties even to an original version of a song and they do amazing things like it's kind of like funny i think our generation has heard a lot of like maybe like classic rock bands uh, music totally in a different way than maybe our parents did there's a whole station dedicated to classic rock like (laughs) right Right. And it's not like when they were growing up, it was like, oh, let's listen to the classic rock to station. No, it was just what was that was rock. That was what existed at the time. Right. And now and so much of what we've heard has been remastered and in some cases remixed. And, um, you know, it is honestly different, maybe not super noticeable um, to mo- to many, but except for like the Beatles stuff right. where it's like mono and then the stereo versions, which are like, sometimes they're two completely different songs. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. That sort of stuff will go on and, and bands that have classic records that might've been recorded in a sort of like primitive fashion can have their stuff re-released much later because it has that like classic album status. It might sound better, but you know, who knows what sorts of fans might say that it's not the same and it doesn't give them that same, that joy that they had when they first heard it and it's raw less high quality version 
Yeah, I still remember the first time I heard, well, it's not like classic rock, although I'm starting to look at the age of that album and it's starting to feel like it might be. Uh, but when I look at the Blue album from Weezer, which is still one of my favorite records of all time, that, when I heard it remastered, was infuriating. And I immediately ejected the CD uh-huh. and just never listened to it again because it didn't carry the same like sound that I expected from that record that was so important to me. And so it is like weird how a, much of an emotional response we can have, even though something is technically better, doesn't feel better to us just because of the emotional attachment we have to the original. Yeah, that's that's an amazing example of that very thing. Like you, you don't want one of your classic favorites to be re-released as something that that you can't love like the same way that you love the original. It's like Star Wars here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Star Wars, which has uh, one of the the remastered version, which has that really awkward concert experience, essentially, at Jabba the Hutt's palace, yeah. where they added in all of this ridiculous animation for no reason. It's like five-minute song or something. Just... Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> and it's very bad i have to admit that i haven't seen all of star wars i've seen like most of the movies i think but i can't tell you with 100 percent certainty that i've seen every well the ones that matter the the older ones i don't think i've seen all of them all the way through i'm not even sure why we're friends sean i don't understand this it's like every week something like this comes up (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i don't watch walking dead i don't watch all the things you do. You're, I'm sorry. Don't dig okay. a hole. Yeah. <laughs> Stop while you're behind, Sean. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, um, with the whole uh, Sam's thing, which is actually the whole thing, like how you get into the concerts. Yeah. So uh, to get to a concert, you have to have a ticket. Most likely. There, there's a few free concerts out there, but rarely is it worth going to. I just print off my own VIP badges <laughs> and uh, sneak in. <laughs> just get a press pass and walk in. Oh yeah, I have. It just has all access, and it has like every band logo on it. <laughs> I just I just cover up the ones that aren't playing. That's smart. Yeah, although a few years ago I was in Chicago with uh, our friend who lives up there, and we went to the Chipotle Cultivate Festival, which was a free festival, and they had a pretty solid lineup. Plus, I got like eight free burritos. Are you kidding? Yeah. So that was that's, that was worth the drive. <laughs> Just the free that's burritos. Eight days of food. <laughs> yeah. It's not eight days. But yeah. So I would I would probably <laughs> I would eat them all in one sitting. I mean. You're a good man, Zach. I don't think you'd live, but I, I'm i glad that I knew you. I was going to say, I think my stomach tore just hearing that. <laughs> uh, but really, we're going to talk about how to get tickets for a concert. And if you live in the U.S. and probably any other country in the world, you have used Ticketmaster at some point. Yeah. So from whenever they started until 2007, they've sold 142 million tickets and valued at about $8 billion. The company itself is only worth about like $1.5 billion. But when you compare it to all the other companies out there in the world that are selling tickets to these different venues, they're, they're just blowing away everybody else. So with that, a few years ago, Pearl Jam, if anybody's familiar with Pearl Jam, they, they hate Ticketmaster. <laughs> yeah. So there was kind of 
a lawsuit going on between them and they really hate him. And most people hate him because of all the fees. You just have fee after fee after fee. And they just keep tacking on these fees like, oh, processing fee. Oh, convenience fee. Oh, here's another fee that we're going to charge you for just doing some other random thing and making this simple. So there's all these fees and everything. And Pearl Jam really tried to crack down on him. And after about a year of investigation, the U.S. Department of Justice dropped the suit saying that Ticketmaster is a monopoly, saying that they found that there are new enterprises entering the arena. And this was a few years ago. And even now, I know I've bought a lot of tickets for a lot of different festivals this year, and majority of them have gone through Ticketmaster. Anytime that they don't, I'm actually pretty happy. So what do you guys think about Ticketmaster? Is it a monopoly, or are they changing their ways? Um, I, I fear getting into the monopoly debate with not having i would say like the strongest knowledge of business and that definition i certainly gripe about them being monopoly whenever i'm drunk at a concert but (laughs) (laughs) but i my biggest frustration with them is that they have taken what should be a fairly simple and easy process which is i give you money you give me ticket and then i enjoy show um and they've somehow made that incredibly difficult and complex and frustrating where there's all sorts of loading screens and verifications and confirming your human, which I get is to try to prevent scalpers, but it still doesn't work. Their app just, they sent you messages in your Ticketmaster inbox and it'd be all the concerts that are in your area. Mm-hmm. And that'd be every concert all the time. Yeah. So there's new concerts announced every every day and it didn't clear out the right way and it just sucked up all the memory. So when you open up the app, it's like, oh, I found 20,000 messages crash and then you couldn't buy a ticket or do anything with the app so that's a side note but uh, i think they fixed it the app their website the whole thing's just a disaster and then on top of that there's all of the ridiculous like additional fees and things that they're adding so my gripe more is with the fact that like going to a concert for so many people is an incredibly exciting thing and if it's a band that you've loved for years and this is your first chance to get to go see them and the start of your experience is dealing with Ticketmaster and they're just awful miserable approach to selling tickets um i think that just really sucks for the bands especially when like even with this crazy system the majority of the people that are still buying the tickets are just people that are going to resell them at insane prices so they're stripping the band also from having the chance to have like really passionate fans there to enjoy the show um and that's where my biggest gripe with Ticketmaster comes from is that they're just sort of unintentionally probably but they are negatively impacting the concert itself even way way, way before that Uh, But Sean, what are your thoughts to uh, Ticketmaster? Well, I know that just issuing tickets themselves isn't a hard part, like just having unique IDs for all of them. Cool. Not that hard. Just cracking down on people that can just, uh, what's the word? forge forge tickets if they uh just uh, create fake ones it's pretty easy to do um not as much with Ticketmaster tickets they have like a whole thing but i know when pearl jam i think it was like sometime in the 90s they did not use Ticketmaster for like a whole uh series of shows and they did it and that was like one of the biggest things is like people just came in with fake, fake tickets and then when the people with the real tickets came in they just couldn't go in like oh no we just we got that already this this one's uh, duplicated and I'm like no i bought this so i know that's a problem but I know there are, like, for smaller venues, it's you just pay at the door. But the bigger ones, you, you might have to get, like, a ticket from Ticketmaster. But I know there are other venues, like brown paper tickets. I just had an experience with them. They're really newish. I got the one for uh, to see Tig Notaro, a comedian. And then I know Eventbrite is a nice way for people that are, like, smaller that are doing, like, maybe conferences, not exactly concerts, to get 
like some kind of identification ticket process. And there's like resellers, like Tixers is one from Columbus and then StubHub, which have the weirdest ads. Have you guys seen those? Uh, I've only ever seen like the billboards, which are strange because they, it's pretty much just their logo. They have the like ticket tree ad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't understand it, (laughs) but, but that's just reselling. So it's not even like the whole creation of the ticket. So I don't know. I just deal with the, I don't know what else to do. I mean, if I want to see the concert, I have to pay Ticketmaster because they make the tickets or go to the box office. But even then, sometimes you don't avoid all the feeds, fees or the scalpers that are in front of the venue. I don't understand how that works. I've never actually asked anybody, how do, how does that work? They get tickets and then they sell them. Do you want me to explain it really quick? Yeah, I, I, I I honestly don't know. It's really cool, and I don't even know if this is 100%, but I just watch scalpers because I'm a people watcher. It's a lot of fun. So they usually have three people working the line. There's always a guy at the front of the line who people will go up and be like, hey, I need a ticket. He'll call back to one of the guys in the line, and he'll be like, hey, I need this ticket for that or another ticket or whatever, and that guy will search the line for a ticket. And as soon as he finds a ticket, and this is for a sold-out show, like not something where they just bought bulk tickets and they have like a ton of them in their hands. Mm. So they'll go and search a line, search the line for tickets, and they'll pay whatever amount, and they'll make sure that they go under the fee and pretend like they don't know like how much the ticket is actually worth. The person will pick up the ticket, and then that's where the third person comes in and runs it up from him to the person in the front of the line and sells the ticket. So usually the scalpers in that situation are never out of money. like They'll never lose money because they're not buying tickets they don't need. Yeah. Oh. I didn't know that either. Cool. I like Scalpers something. are pretty cool the way that works, like that whole like economy right there. Yeah. So they're essentially just asking on behalf of whoever needs the ticket. And then so charging that a person. Fee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An exorbitant fee. I guess there's always the other option of, of like Craigslist, like kind of a free market sort of thing. You are sort of limited. I, I think that's where the term monopoly gets thrown around with things like that because it isn't like you have a lot of options for where to purchase. It's sort of go this one way or, you know, basically get yourself to the venue beforehand. I guess they they can avoid that title because there are a few other options. I try to buy directly from the box office when I can, but I also have the luxury of like living pretty close to most of the venues that I would frequent. Another reason why Ticketmaster gets a bad name sometimes is simply just because of the fees. I don't think anyone would have a problem with the convenience of their service if there wasn't fee for that convenience Uh, exactly exactly which they have (laughs) so cleverly dubbed the convenience charge it's a great service when you don't have to pay an exorbitant amount to to have it that's where the the problem lies a lot of the time it's important that people always remember that there aren't many other options but there are other options and if you never have to just stop going to concerts because you don't like paying those fees. That's what kind of drives me nuts is <laughs> when people think like, oh, I can't go to a show because of the convenience charge. <laughs> like, <laughs> you can figure out other ways. And it makes you wonder how much of a devotion the people that give up that quickly actually have to yeah. the concert. But it is also like maybe they just haven't gone to that many concerts because of the fact that it is often such a ridiculous process and very costly at times with these additional fees um, and if they went to more they would realize the like an insane value that you can get from live music and that whole experience mm-hmm. 
Speaking of um, the live music experience, that was actually sort of what I wanted to hit on, um, and in particular, something that's known as social cohesion. So before I dive too far into this, fair warning, I may get a little long-winded here, um, but but as I was thinking about like what to talk about for this episode, because it's since we're focused around design, code, and learning... Um, I was trying to think about sort of the design of concerts and the design of the experience. And I struggled to find something with that initially, which is peculiar to me considering my absolute love for live music. Uh, And Sam, who's attended a variety of shows with me, can probably attest to the fact that I am almost a different person when at a show. Uh, Yeah, it's completely. I haven't seen you in a show. And it's like I'm this skinny little introverted kid who's normally very reserved and a pacifist. (laughs) I am tall, Um, but I suddenly turn into a loud, like, raucous. No, I stand (laughs) at, like, the edge of the pit and help keep other people safe that don't want to be hit. Um, But (laughs) it's... it's, um, That's the the most pacifist thing I've probably said. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) live music and like that whole not necessarily the pit experience but the whole experience of a show is almost like a form of prayer for me um so i started to wonder like why exactly it is that i enjoy concerts um and like first i jumped to the conclusion that oh i love the music so transitively i will of course enjoy seeing uh the performance but that's actually kind of flawed logic because if it was really just the listening to uh music alone then i should be able to get that same level of joy from listening to music uh, like at home as I do during a live performance. And Zach had actually said earlier that we can bring uh, so many things to like a live performance that you can't bring to a recording. Um, and that I think is starting to hit on like what makes me enjoy uh, live concerts and live music so much. So before I talk about um, this concept known as social co- cohesiveness, I was going to ask uh, what it is that you guys enjoy most about the experience experience of a live live music or a concert so uh sean i'll start with you i was hoping you'd get me last because i as much as i love music and i play music i am probably the worst person to look at during a concert because i'm just gonna i stand there and i look at it i don't move really (laughs) I, i i think i tap my leg and my foot as much as i'm into it as much if i see the my most favorite band which i don't know off the top of my hand but i would just stand there I'm sorry, I'm boring. Unless it was like a like a punk show or something where it's like lots of people just like uh, mm-hmm. going at it. Not really going at it. More of a, I guess a better way to put it is, I think I was only like 13 or 14, but it, it, it was probably the most fun time I've had. Is, uh, it was less than Jake, Goldfinger, and... That would be that really fun, actually. But nice. Yeah, it was yeah. a Scott Punk fun time. And during the Goldfinger set, I uh, <laughs> the lead singer split the crowd in two. He was like, okay, the left side, just go all the way to the left wall. Right side, go all the way to the right wall. So in the middle, it was sort of like a Moses thing. He was like, split the crowd. Whoosh. And then he was like, okay, as soon as we start the song, the right side, go all the way and just try and go towards the other side just like a battle (laughs) at uh metal concerts they call that a wall of death (laughs) yes okay never mind that is what i've I've never experienced one but that was what it was and i was like holy crap this is awesome and then i did it it was just like (laughs) 
but yes, it was a wall of death. <laughs> a ska show, that's fantastic. <laughs> I know, and then there was also a, a skank train. Oh lord, there was just a lot of a lot of. You know, if you don't know what skanking is, is not what it sounds like. If um, it's it's a it's a dance move. It's not what you think. And it was just a it was a conga line of skankers. It was just going around the whole thing, snake style. That's the best way to put it. And then um, also, uh, they played a really really old song, and. They were like, if anyone knows the lyrics to this song, it was Mabel, if anyone knows that. Oh, yeah, that song rocks. Her eyes were hazel, her name was Mabel. <laughs> yeah. I was Just Mabel. Just once, and now I'm Mabel. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> she said, that looks like a tube of cookie dough. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pencil with broken lead and then uh <laughs> anyway uh there i go up on stage with them and it was awesome it was like what the f- i i know you i i listen to you guys all the time and now i'm up here and that was awesome and then i i, I didn't stage dive because i f- i was like i'm don't want to die <laughs> and then after that uh lesson jake they played their set and then they played an encore and then they played another one. And then they played another one. And they're like, just leave. Please stop. Stop being so riled up. And so that was, ah, that was good times. Good times. Anyway, what was the, oh, other than that, I usually just stand and look. All right. Well, I thought your answer was supposed to be boring, Sean, but. <laughs> it was very boring in right? the beginning. Yeah. And then I remembered that. Yeah, I don't know what your guys' favorite concert experiences were, but that, that was mine. All right. Well, Sam, how about yours? I have so many, and Brian was a part of the majority of them. I don't know if it could be. That's cute. I know, right? Going up to Cleveland to see Manchester Orchestra, which I guess before yeah, we went to get food, and I was in the bathroom, and a guy kept pounding on the door telling me to hurry up. And so I just poured water all over the toilet seat because he had to go poop. He said that several oh. times. <laughs> and he was just being annoying. So so there was that. And then actually at that concert when Andy Hall was on stage and there was a mosh pit starting and he just stopped everything. And he just told them to stop it. This isn't that type of concert. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because they were also knocking into a bunch of girls, and he actually went on a long rant about how he promised his mother and his wife that he would make sure girls were always safe at his concerts. And it was like this adorably heartfelt moment in the middle of a rock show. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and there's been other concerts where I wasn't with Brian, magically, but uh, like Abit Brothers in 2011, when they came through Columbus and I was really listening to them. I absolutely, I love that concert and I will never forget that. Like one of the first like big concerts I ever went to, like kind of by myself, like out in the atmosphere and like being with the people I was with, it was, it was phenomenal. And then other times, like the first time I saw explosions in the sky, I'll never forget that. Or when I saw a band play in a cave, like there's just so many of them. They're all pretty awesome. Uh Yes, I'm happy I've been able to uh, enjoy some of those shows, especially the cave experience. I got to hear about this cave show now. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so um, (laughs) that one was actually Manchester Orchestra as well. So last year they came out with an album called Cope, which was a much like heavier sound than what they typically played. And halfway through the year, they released uh, another version of it called Hope, which was an acoustic stripped down version of all these really heavy songs. Um, and they were like, they have these beautiful angelic harmonies, interesting approaches to handling the instrumentation to 
convey some of these softer elements that you can't normally hear during uh, the like loud, heavy guitars. Um, and so they released that and they did a hope tour where it was like all these small, unique venues. And the last one that they played was in this cave uh, in Tennessee. We were 300 feet underground. And so you get this beautiful like reverb from the ceiling of the cave. Um, it's just like soft and quiet and beautiful. And everyone just like sat perfectly still and just listened and, and enjoyed the whole experience. Um, there was one spot where a couple got engaged in front of the band. So they congratulated them. And it was just like this really sweet romantic uh, environment um, with some incredible music. Yeah, and there's actually a video I made and put on YouTube. I'll toss it in uh, the show notes so people can check it out about that experience it was it was probably one of the greatest ones i'll toss it in the chat as well um but zach how about you what are uh, some of the things that you've loved about uh, seeing live music live music is very important to me and i see the benefits of it from so many different angles and there's so many reasons why why i'll enjoy a live show as a musician there's nothing like seeing someone play a song that you're really familiar with live for the first time. Um, you get to see so much about what goes on in the like the technicalities of the performance and the playing. And as a musician, that is something I notice first and foremost. Um, it's also something that I pay attention to probably the most when I'm seeing an artist for the first time. I think about that a lot when I go to shows with people that aren't musicians. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish I could share that that sort of perception with them because when you see a group for the first time, it's harder to, to get into it as opposed to if you have heard their recorded catalog before just because it, it's not familiar to you and it's like you're meeting someone for the first time. You don't really know how you're going to feel about them just yet. It's sort of a first impression. But yeah, it's also, it's interesting, sorry to jump in there, but it's always interesting to me seeing like uh, a, if I bring a friend who's never seen a band perform before and their experience um, is also drastically different, not just because they don't know the music the band's playing, but because they're often surrounded by people who have that deep emotional attachment to the music they're hearing. And you feel so much like an outsider when you aren't sharing in what is clearly an important moment for everyone else that's around you. Right. That's something that I was going to bring up too, is that when you're seeing a band play that you have been listening to forever, and it's something that you maybe have like a nostalgic sort of emotional attachment to, that can add so much to your live music experience. Whereas uh, for someone who, who doesn't have that, it might seem a little strange to them, like how enraptured you can be with a performance. Mm -hmm. My favorite shows are the ones where I not only am familiar with the, the musician's work, but it's also something that I have a memory tied to or kind of an emotion or just even if it's just not necessarily something that I have a connection with lyrics or like a memory associated with the music it can just be something I've been listening to for forever uh, to see that live for the first time is always just such a huge moment for me so those are usually my favorite shows but I'd say that another favorite experience that I can have at a concert is seeing someone for the very first time and just being so excited about what was going to happen next you know like a band that just wows me from the get-go mm -hmm. that from song to song is just keeping me interested. And even though I've never heard any of it before, I immediately want to become familiar with it. I just feed off the energy that's coming from the band and their music. Yeah, I know like the every venue is different. The audio engineer or the guy manning or the girl or whatever uh, is manning the sound booth. They have the 
a really huge control of how people are going to be listening to this person. And if it is for the first time and they don't sound the best, it, it might not be actually the performer's fault. It might be the person in the sound booth that has the ultimate control of how they sound in the space. And that relies on so many different factors, like the, the actual space itself, the acoustics, but also the instruments they're playing, yeah. frequencies, but also like the crowd. Like depending on how many people are in there, it changes like the air pressure, uh, the temperature, mm-hmm. which affects the sound waves. And I know lots of the greatest bands, they, <laughs> they usually like thank the crew that are behind the scenes. They're like, yeah, we wouldn't sound as great as we do if it weren't for these people because we're doing the things that we're supposed to do. Great, cool. But these guys, this is why you feel like we sound as great as we oh, do. Yeah, it's it's amazing what a good audio engineer can do great in any environment, especially when you're going venue to venue on a tour and you and you don't know what kind of room you're going to be in next. Mm-hmm. That's why certain bands have certain technical requirements with the sound systems that they play through. But especially when you're first coming up, you might have uh, an engineer traveling with you, but you might not be able to be so choosy about where you play. So um <laughs> So getting that like that consistency is pretty right. hard. So like high five the sound guy the next show you go to guys because <laughs> you don't know what they might have been through. But yeah, and one thing you were saying earlier is like as many factors that play into enjoying a show and making a show a mm-hmm. concert the best experience. There's so many factors that can ruin a show for you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's stupid, but like and it's kind of unfortunate really how many there are and like just how many ways that performance can be altered by the room, the sound, the the crowd and and it, you don't really have control over it. Of course, ideally you can you would just have basically a private performance you know it's not that way and and in a lot of ways the crowd is as can be the best part of going to a show it's funny that you mentioned like the manchester show with the wild crowd and people in the mosh pit might be having the best experience but the mosh pit can also make it the worst experience for someone too so it's kind of a fine line of enjoying yourself but also making sure other people can enjoy themselves too yeah that's actually like where I have come to land on why I really love going to concerts is because of this idea known as um, social cohesion, which when I was trying to like search for some research and information for this show, uh, one of the things I landed on was this very fancy sounding book called Psychological Health Effects of Musical Experiences. Wow, Um, that sounds awesome. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's actually like it's a pretty easy to read, even though it's bringing like a lot of psychology and research into it, but and lots of syllables in that uh, book title. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, Polysyllable. Like yes. Lots of $10 words. <laughs> but in that, um, in I think it was the third chapter, the author talks about um, how music can have an incredible effect on us because of the communal experience that we have when we are at a show. So he coins this term called social cohesion. And what that is, is essentially just a way of saying a unified collective or a group that is sharing in an experience together. Um, So I'm sure we've all been to a show where the crowd begins to like sing along with the band. Um, And that moment can be like really, really powerful for all of us. And in that the author discusses that there's a great deal of like psychological and physiological benefits that come from that shared experience. Um, So for example, when a crowd is singing along together, it actually results in more paced and consistent breathing processes for everyone in the audience. 
even those that aren't singing. <laughs> um, and that has a similar, similar psychopath physiological benefit um, to like saying a mantra or a prayer. And those sorts of experiences can even help alleviate like symptoms of depression or burnout syndrome and other mental health disorders. Huh. And then on top of that, some anthropologists have even suggested that like these shared experiences of singing, playing music and dancing were important for small groups to develop cohesiveness way back when we were just hunter gatherer tribes. Um, and so that in turn led to stronger groups that were more likely to trust one another for survival. Um, and so that like ability to connect with all of these strangers and share in something that's so important to all of you is part of why I think I've come to love live music so much. So all it's behind like a paywall but i'll see if we can put a link to at least that book um that i think might be digital only yeah. but it's uh it's i think hits on a lot of the points that you guys were making and sort of why you've come to enjoy music and these live experiences that is fascinating to me i would love to, to read more about that because yeah. i i think that you you see that at shows the the best shows i think are the ones where people are sort of in sort of this united i feel like they're almost performing in their own way that yep. sounds kind of too deep maybe no but... i get it the, the audience is the performer right the, they are are like performing back to the band in in the way that maybe they're singing along or they're they're dancing or just listening and calm and and in the moment with that performance and i mean i i feel it when i go to shows now i get probably more uncomfortable or maybe irritated when I'm at a show where half the crowd's paying attention or half the mm -hmm. crowd is talking or yelling or mm -hmm. moshing or whatever. But I think it's really frustrating when you're in the back with the people talking, but you want to be up front with the people that are really listening. When the whole room is together, like listening to the band and singing along, or at least the people that are in your line of sight or in your the first couple of rows with you are kind of in it with you. I think those are some of the best shared experiences. Yeah, because I I've, I think I, re I remember talking with you a year ago and I, I, I wanted to do some kind of concert that had some kind of interactive digital projection element stuff that reacted with the music, but also the crowd. I never got around to that, but I actually... At what probably took up the time that that would have probably occupied is I worked on an animation for uh, a comedian called David Huntsberger and he did stand up and behind him projected would be video and animation that coincided exactly with what he was saying. Uh, so it, it, it gave like a different experience with that aspect. Like you see him, you see his joke, you hear his jokes, you don't see his jokes. In the background is like a collective thought of everyone that's in the room, what they would probably be thinking up there animated into some in a visual form which is a different yeah. kind of thing i remember the idea came up and then a while after danny glover no david glover danny glover i think ah oh, crap i don't know yeah, childish danny, gambino yeah, yeah. glover <laughs> yeah <laughs> donald. donald glover danny glover's the i'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i knew it was wrong as soon as i said it but i didn't know yeah donald glover <laughs> He is not too old. And Community should be on Yahoo soon. Oh, that's excellent. By the time this uh, debuts, I think it, you should be able to go to Yahoo and see the last final season of Community. If you haven't seen that, that's awesome. Anyway, he has a... Yeah, with the Deep Web Tour, that was his latest tour with his latest album, he, ha he made an app that interacted with the crowd 
and like involved their participation. And there was sometimes like polls and other things, a second level experience where there's a device in your hand. I don't know about you, but if I was performing, I'd hope that people wouldn't be looking at their phones instead of right. me. <laughs> um, but it, it might happen. But using that tool as a way to enhance what's happening is a cool idea. And I, I was also thinking of possibly using like eye beacons or Bluetooth, create an even like richer experience, like, oh, you're over there, you're over there, and create like some kind of lights or something like that. Or uh, like how you guys were saying, like people singing along to a song. If I'm just joining a con- concert, and this is the first time I've seen a band ever, I don't know any of their songs. I don't know how they go, and I especially don't know what the singer is singing because that lots of times uh, when you go to a band, you just don't know what they're saying. Right. It's not really their fault, but having like the lyrics possibly like projected behind them or on a phone or something along those lines, it gives a better idea of like, oh, this song is really beautiful. The lyrics are awesome, and now I can sing along to it because I've heard like the first half, and well, there's a chorus, and you know, choruses right. happen right. more than once, hopefully. <laughs> so you get the whole vibe. So by the end of the song, if you were really into it you could possibly sing along with other people that possibly have known this song longer than you have, but you've just picked up the lyrics in 10 seconds flat. Right. So I don't know where I was going, but that's where it ended. That's a cool thought. I thought about this a lot lately and how involved tech should be with the, the live performance. And I guess our personal electronic devices to put it in like (laughs) flight attendant language, (laughs) Um, It can be a cool thing to see how that can work to enhance a performance. And I, it was funny that you mentioned like lyrics being projected. I think I was at, I think I was actually at a Justin Timberlake concert, which oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, was. I I don't even care. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. He had lyrics to one of his songs being projected behind him. I say that like it, you know, it's on a small projector, but I mean, let's be real. It's no, it's humongous. <laughs> He's in a stadium. Arena. Yeah, like, um, and you know, it wasn't like uh, the karaoke, like scrolling or like the bouncing ball <laughs> or whatever. The yellow and white text, <laughs> <laughs> instrumental break. <laughs> <laughs> I would love. I would actually love to go to a concert. <laughs> I think that could work for a certain artist. That would be really funny. Like, um, no, it was. Um, it was really cool because I I did pick up on a lot of lyrics. You know, I've heard a lot of JT songs a million times, and but I'll be honest, I don't know all the words to some of them. So. It's kind of helpful and it was cool, and I think that can add a lot to maybe the unfamiliar listener or the totally new listener. Yeah. I like the idea too of like having something maybe on your phone to help you engage with the performance. What I don't like is when it becomes a separate distraction and it takes away from what is actually going on on stage. I don't know if you guys want to get into this whole thing, but the <laughs> the the debate of like having your phone out at a concert and documenting everything on your phone as it happens. Oh um, yeah. Or with iPads. Which <laughs> I have seen that. It's kind of unbelievable. I'll have to see if I can find the article. I think it might've been from the guardian that they wrote this piece, how there's actually been research that shows that we are having a more difficult time recalling memories from our past because of documenting them too much with photo and video. So those of us that don't take a lot of pictures of events or things that we're at are more likely to remember details accurately. 
Um, whereas like oh. those that spend all their time behind the screen and not actually like in the experience, but recording the experience, um, they're less likely to be able to recall without those sort of crutches in place later. So like uh, that's one reason why people should maybe put their phone away. Plus, like no picture ever looks good no. unless you are like the band photographer up there with the nice camera that's appropriately rigged for the lighting in that room. Your picture will look like crap. Yeah. Like, it's like a potato I'm talking. Yeah, right. Like, let alone video. Yeah. Nothing drives me more insane than seeing someone film an entire song on their phone from, like, the <laughs> 40th row. It's not going to sound good. It's not going to look good. The mobile technology is amazing nowadays, but it's... It's not that good. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and even if you capture, like, a really nice-looking or sounding video because your technology is really nice... It's still not why you're there, you know. You're at the concert to experience it in person and see it through your own eyes and hear it through your own ears. You should be able to, like, access those memories from your mind later, um, not by watching it again on your phone. But maybe, I don't know, if you had, like, amnesia, it would be excusable. Yeah, there's, like, a, a thing, I think it's called Memento. It's like a necklace you wear that has a camera on it, and then it takes pictures every maybe every twenty seconds or so. And then people that do have amnesia or some kind of memory loss, they can then look back at the day and be like, "Oh, <laughs> that did happen. Cool." And then I guess we could just uh, as soon as you enter a concert arena, <laughs> they just put on a necklace oh. and you're like, "Here you go. Yeah, just uh, here's your number." Um, and it's like this: the fan photography. Like, if you want to buy these, <laughs> you pay uh, two ninety nine per download, or if you want to do a bulk pack. Package. that's cool if you want to do a print ah that's gonna be 50 bucks and then wow. delivery and then, yep yeah so i i invented a new market so. <laughs> if anyone wants to steal that go, go yeah. ahead i don't want to deal with that you know what i love that because maybe it would get people to just actually pay attention and not really worry about capturing stuff with their phone and they can just like mm -hmm. wear the thing yeah and, and forget about it also, maybe maybe it could be paired with like sound that's taken directly from the soundboard. Oh yeah. So if you wanted to like watch that video later, maybe it wouldn't be the best quality, but it would be or best video quality would be good audio quality. And yeah, it wouldn't be like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that bass. It's that's what it sounds like. I, yeah. Or if you like, uh, possibly like when you walk in the door, like hey. Don't worry about taking photos or videos. We're, we're going to have a person take them and then just go on our website and then you'll see them and they'll right. be a lot better yeah. than yours. Yep. Like that's part <laughs> of your ticket price. Like there's finally yeah. a convenience to the convenience fee, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. Full circle. All this reminds me of a, a quote that I absolutely love. Uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Sean Penn plays Sean something in the movie. But his quote is, if I like a moment, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it. And I absolutely love that. Yeah. And I feel like that's appropriate for this. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think that especially if you are really like passionate about the music that's being performed, if it's a, if it's a band you really love, you're going to benefit so much more by just paying attention to every moment just in person instead of trying to <laughs> document it to watch later. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I like to grab like a good picture or, or like maybe 15 or 30 seconds of video just to put up later. After that, I like to just kind of put put it away and, and take mm -hmm. it in. Take the feels. Yeah. <laughs> Breathe it in deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's 
totally unimportant to have that sort of documentation at shows, though. I was kind of thinking about this before we started having this conversation. Coming from our point of view, yeah. our band is, is still you know, much smaller than we hope to be. We have a fan base that we're trying to access that has never heard us before. We kind of rely on social media and people taking pictures of us playing and stuff just to get the word out and to, to tweet like, oh, this Playing the Vapor show is going great. Check them out. <laughs> and, and for that, I'm thankful. Um, it's, I guess, when you see an artist that's established and, and has a massive following already, I get kind of irritated when you see half the crowd having their phones out, like trying to take pictures, especially <laughs> like in an arena when you're not going to get a good shot. You're just not. Yeah, you're on the third balcony all the way right. in the back. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to look good. No. But when you're at the Plain of Vapor show and it's like a 100 capacity venue you can probably get pretty close and maybe you get a cool shot of luke singing or mike shredding and that helps us in the long run because hopefully your followers will at least see our name appear in a caption and and maybe it'll register with them later whether they actually uh, go out out go all out and check us out later i still don't want people to have their phone out the entire time that we're playing you know it's, I've even seen a few bands who do like a thing where they pause and they tell everyone like, now's your photo moment. And they all stand as if they're playing, let everyone take their picture. And then they tell everyone to put their devices away and go back to performing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that too. And I think that's a pretty cool idea. And they, sometimes they pose and <laughs> put on their like rock faces. And, um, yeah. Well, uh, if you want to carry us out, uh, Mr. Sam, I see that you have a final thought. Yeah, there's a few of them, but it's all one one single thought. Okay. So people need to get out more. They need to go enjoy things, and one of those things is to go enjoy concerts. So at concerts, you can do things like have gypsy juice with a stranger. You can do things like save a friend's life from a river with some bros or you could even hug a friend after a beatles cover song but one of the greatest things to do is to crowd surf to the stage with all this just go out and meet someone new it could be me <laughs> all right <Yep. laughs> it got just got real intimate <laughs> i like it so uh zach so where can people keep up with you and the work that you're doing by yourself and also possibly with uh, oh, Plain well, of Vapors. I would love if people would follow me on Twitter at ZCramp, on Instagram at ZCramp underscore. Uh, and you can find Plain of Vapors on Twitter and Instagram as well at Plain of Vapors. We are on Facebook, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. All of our music is on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we're on YouTube and we have a website. Uh, with links to all of those things, www.playingtovapors.com. Awesome. That is, that's uh, more than enough. So if anyone is interested, take a look, get a gander, uh, listen to some really good music. And Zach, I don't know if we actually said this, but he plays the bass. And everyone should definitely watch the music video to Ghost Hunter, because that's incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we, we had some very talented people put that together for us, and... We're really lucky to have them in our life. (laughs) (laughs) And that was episode 18 of All of the Above. To go more in-depth with everything we talked about, head over to alloftheabove.audio slash episodes slash 018 for valuable show notes and links. 
my car broke down this weekend on my way to Cleveland, so I'm a bit behind on things. So those show notes might not be there right away. Sorry about that. If you enjoyed this episode, you can go to alloftheabove.audio slash review to leave us a rating on iTunes. And while you're there, you're only a few clicks away from listening to some Play Into Vapors. And without further ado, here is Giant Conspiracy in its entirety. It's the first single from Play Into Vapors' upcoming EP titled A Glitch in a Void, available April 10th.